Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Heather Hutchison. She currently lives on Vancouver Island in Canada, and she is a singer-songwriter and an author, and she is blind. So we will be talking about lots of good things about her life, and I'm really excited to get to know her today. So Heather, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? For sure. Thanks so much for having me. Um, As you said, I'm a singer-songwriter. I have three albums out so far, and I'm working on some new music right now, so I'm really excited about that. And I just released my new memoir, which is called Holding On By Letting Go. And it basically details my life as a blind person growing up in Canada and then moving to Latin America, as well as my struggles with my mental health over the years and ultimately my hospitalization for psychiatric care at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm sure all of this is going to be in your memoir, and we can definitely direct people to your memoir in the description of this podcast. But do you want to take us a little bit, um, the growing up experience um, in Canada and and being blind? Yeah, so up till really probably about the age of five, I never really knew that other people saw me as different because, you know, you spend so much time around your family. And so I grew up with, you know, hanging out with my brother and my cousins and nobody ever really told me that I couldn't do anything. So I just did whatever they did. And then I was on vacation with my family and I was playing on the playground with this kid who was a couple years older than me. And we'd been playing all afternoon and he asked me why I never looked at anything. And I said, super matter of factly, because I didn't really think anything of it at the time. Like, oh yeah, I'm blind. You know, as you would tell somebody, I have brown hair and blue eyes kind of thing. And his reaction was so immediate and so violent. And he actually pushed me backwards. And I remember laying there on the playground structure and just, that was the the first point where I kind of realized like, wow, people actually do think I'm different and this is forever and that's never going to change. And we were talking a little bit beforehand um, about blindness and how blindness is a spectrum. So can you talk a little bit about what that means and how you're able to interact with the world? Yeah, most people seem to kind of think blindness is all or nothing, but as you said, it is on a spectrum. So I have what's considered light perception only. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So I can actually see better in dim light than bright light, and I can see stark contrasts like black and white checkered floor tiles, for example, things like that. In bright light, I'm actually effectively pretty much completely blind. And, but there are so many, there's so much technology now that enables blind people, you know, whether they're partially sighted, completely blind to interact with the world, you know, on social media, on to do work, all that sort of thing. So for example, I use a screen reader to read what's on the screen so I can do social media and that sort of thing. So basically it's just software that will read out everything that it sees on the screen, or I can actually turn that into Braille if I want to read it myself. 
And is Braille something that's really accessible? In in what way do you mean? Like, is I guess a better question would be, is Braille very common? That That's kind of really more what I'm going with. It can be. I think, unfortunately, it's actually becoming less common because of screen readers and things like that. I think it's a super important skill to learn, but there are definitely people who don't learn it. But, you know, if you're looking for Braille on an elevator or things like that, you know, it's super helpful to be able to read even just when you're out in public. And do you have a guide dog or do you solely use a cane? What sort of accessibility do you use? I don't have a guide dog right now. I did. I got her right before I, right before my first year of university and I worked her for a number of years and retired her and she passed away a couple of years ago. I loved having her. She was awesome for mobility, um, but I have social anxiety. So being stopped all the time on the street and asked questions about her was really challenging for me. So I, as much as I loved her and I loved the mobility that she gave me, I retired her and I didn't apply for a successor dog and I do just use a cane now. And do you have people who help you often like in your family or living with you? Yeah, my partner is sighted. So he, you know, does a lot of the driving and that sort of thing when I'm not taking public transit. And my friends are always really good about, you know, whatever I need. If there's something that, you know, I need a sighted person's help with, I do have a really strong support network um, that is close by that is very helpful. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, that's always good to hear. Now, with anxiety, why did you decide to write a book? It's actually a, a, quite a complicated story. So I was hospitalized, as I said, back in June of 2020, so not that far into the pandemic. And it was involuntary under the Mental Health Act, so I was not free to leave. And I was lying in bed one night when I was there and I couldn't sleep. And this person was flown in, this patient was flown in by air ambulance in critical condition. And I remember lying there and thinking to myself, like, my God, this patient's family, their loved ones must be having the scariest night of their lives right now. And I was thinking about them and I started wondering, how can I have so much compassion for their loved ones while knowing the decision I want to make will devastate my own loved ones? And then I started thinking about the patient themselves and how they were fighting to live and I was fighting to die. And I just wondered, you know, would they want to change places with me if they could? So I realized that I was being given this choice and I could live and do something good with a really difficult experience. And so I chose to tell my story in the hopes of educating other people and helping people who are going through it themselves to hopefully feel less alone because I think we talk a lot about, you know, I was in this really awful place, but I got through it. But we don't really talk about the darkness that led up to it, you know, like we we and we should focus on, you know, the end goal of of getting better and recovery. But I think it's hard 
for people in those first stages when they have nothing to relate to. So I wanted to really honestly share my journey and my struggles. And that's really important and great to hear that you were able to take such a dark situation and turn it around. So what was it like being in a hospital while a pandemic was going on? It was actually kind of strange because it was almost like being in this little bubble where we actually heard less about COVID on the inside than we did on the outside, I would say, because we were a little bit isolated from the news and things like that. So there were certain protocols, like, for example, everybody had to eat in their rooms, which was actually great for me. I I liked that better. So that kind of worked in my favor. But Nobody was overly really concerned or frantic about it. It was kind of strange because, you know, on the outside, we're being fed this news that that everything in the hospital is absolutely insane. And it really wasn't at that point. And then what was it like coming out of the hospital and having to reenter the world in a pandemic? Coming out was hard. You know, they said in the hospital, and it's very true that the real work starts actually when you go home because then you don't have the nurses and the psychiatrists and everything reminding you of healthy coping techniques, you know, a hundred times a day. And you have to kind of remember that on your own. So it was difficult. And then coming back into it, you know, when I'm now surrounded again by the news, by the media, um, you know, articles and comments and things people are posting on social media. So that was actually, in a way, I felt better being in the hospital and being kind of isolated from that. And you could almost kind of believe that things were okay, you know, like, or you go for a walk or something like that. And you can kind of forget that COVID's even really a thing. And what is, uh, the situation like on Vancouver Island with COVID? Right now, it's I think we're a little bit behind you guys in terms of opening things up again. We are slowly starting to open up. We have been hit a little bit by that fourth wave. But as of now, we haven't shut down again. So I'm really hoping that that will not become a thing again, because it's just so hard and isolating, um, particularly going into the winter, I think. Yeah, there's definitely a a lot that resonates with that. And what is it like living on Vancouver Island in general, being on a bit of an an island and having to take a ferry and back to the, the big city? It's actually pretty lovely for the most part. The ferries are annoying in the summer because we get a lot of tourism. So there's often big waits for the ferries in the summer, but we do have, you know, most of what we need really. It's it's quite a big island. So we have a lot of that infrastructure that we need, especially where I'm living now. I moved here actually um, right before the pandemic started, a couple months before, before I was living in a smaller city on the island as well. And that was a lot harder, but here there is a little bit of uh, more of public transportation. It's not great, but it's, you know, in the other place, it was non-existent. So I find I was really excited because now I'm closer to the ferry, but it's kind of funny because now I find I don't really even need to go over to the big city because I'm living in a big enough city now that, that we can do most of what we need here. 
And what was it that took you to Latin America? I kind of grew up surrounded by Latin American culture in Canada. And to make some very big generalizations here, they tend to be a lot more comfortable with people who are different. So Canadians kind of have, tend to have one of two responses to my blindness. They either get super, you know, they, they almost studiously avoid it to the point of like where it's uncomfortable because you know they want to talk about it, but they won't. Or they try to pretend that they're totally cool with it by cracking jokes, which is fine. Like I like a good blind joke as much as the next person, but I've heard them all a million times before. People are a lot less original. But Latin people, they tend to just be more, I don't know, less phased in general about differences. And they tend to need to ask fewer questions, but observe a lot more. And so kind of growing up around that, but while still in Canada, I wanted to move there and just really immerse myself in that in, in that acceptance and inclusion and go to this place and, and be different for a different reason. You know, like I grew up being the blind girl, so I could go to Latin America and be the Canadian girl instead. And what was your experience like in Latin America? It was incredible. It was... I spent a year living there and I would say I was the most me, if that makes any sense, that I've ever been, like just a bigger, more defined, more confident version of myself because being surrounded by that acceptance gave me the confidence to just be who I was. And what were you doing while you were down there? I was teaching English. And do you speak any other languages? Yeah, I speak uh, fluent Spanish as well. And were you, did you learn Spanish before going to Latin America? Like, were you completely fluent? Yeah, yeah, I moved there. I was already fluent. My partner wasn't, so he, he kind of struggled a little more. So I'm really grateful that, I don't know, I don't think I would have the courage to move to a country where I couldn't speak the language. So people who do that are really brave to me, but no, I was not that brave that's okay your goal was to be the Canadian yeah so then what brought you back up to Canada it was honestly just a question of money I would have stayed there forever if I could but eventually I kind of had to accept we were living in Peru so we were working we had Peruvian salaries and we kind of came to the realization that we were one you know Uh, issue or emergency away from not being able to eat and not having a place to live so it was really just a question of money yeah and that's really unfortunate and hopefully post pandemic um you'll Mm -hmm. at least be (laughs) be able to go back and and spend some more time down there yeah I hope so and especially I think one of the good things about the pandemic if if we can talk about good things because there's been a lot of bad but is that people there's more acceptance around working remotely so you know the whole digital nomad thing is becoming more of a thing so you know that's kind of interesting to me as we move forward out of the pandemic of like can we can we do that yeah yeah that would be that would be fantastic yeah So what has the experience been like writing your albums? 
My albums, I mean, I've been at such different stages of my life when I've written them. My first album came out when I was 16. So I started writing for that one when I was probably, you know, 13 to 15. So a lot of those songs were kind of about being lonely and trying to find that connection. You know, I started to feel a little bit more apart from my peers, I guess, at that age. And the depression and anxiety was becoming more pronounced. So music was kind of really my ticket out of that and my my refuge from the things that I was struggling with. And I guess that's been, you know, a fairly common theme. My last album I wrote when I came back from Peru and that one was honestly a lot about my travels and about things that I experienced there and about missing Peru and the weird reverse culture shock of coming back which is definitely a thing and then this newest material that I'm just started working on is it, it all kind of ties into the book and the experience of being hospitalized and what what led up to that and that sort of thing. And what was the reverse culture shock like? It was really odd. There were, coming back here, there were so many rules that, you know, in South America, there's a little bit more um, flexibility to do what you want. And it just felt like coming back here, we were just like hit with all these rules. And actually, the very first interaction I had in Canada after coming back was with this guy in the airport who stopped us and he asked my partner, he wouldn't even speak to me directly, he asked my partner what was wrong with me and if I'd been born like that and that was the first interaction I had had with anyone in Canada since coming back and I hadn't had anybody in Peru for the entire year treat me like that so it was like you know with within five minutes of being back in Canada I was kind of reminded of why I'd wanted to leave in the first place yeah that's a very unfortunate situation and something that really shouldn't be happening no no it shouldn't I don't know why it does I hope that one day it will happen less <laughs> Do, do people often talk to the people that you're with rather than talk to you? Yes, it's very common. I don't really know why, but you know, for example, if we're in a restaurant, they might look at a friend or my partner or family member and ask, what does she want? Things like that. And how do you handle those situations? It's hard because, you know, you, you want to be graceful about it, but it gets kind of old and frustrating if it happens, you know, it could be the fifth time it's happened that day and you just really try not to snap at people. But I generally, I just answer, you know, they might say, what would she like or what, you know, what does she need? Those sorts of things. And I will just answer in like the person I'm with will just stay quiet and I'll just answer and sometimes that that shifts things and they will actually start speaking to me sometimes they still don't oh goodness so going back um to the music what was your experience like when you first started to get into music what were you what were you drawn to and and what were you inspired by I 
loved the band Evanescence. <laughs> that was a big one. And I, there were a couple of girls in the older grades that were writing songs. And I kind of thought, well, hmm, I, I could try that too. And then I, my vocal coach encouraged me to um, audition for a regional talent competition. And in the finals of that competition, one of the judges who had been on the panel actually came up to me backstage and said, hey, look, I'm a producer. Um, why don't we talk about recording some of your material? And I, I was super flattered and humbled, but I kind of figured, you know, it's just one of those things that people say. But three weeks later, we were actually in the recording studio recording the first album. So it was really, really crazy to go from the high school band room to the recording studio in like such a short amount of time. <sighs> Yeah, that's really awesome. Now, do you do things musically besides sing? I play piano and a little bit of guitar, yeah. And is that an easy thing to learn while being blind? Like, I personally struggled learning how to play the piano, and I'm musical, and I have sight, and I feel like I, I feel like that would probably be a struggle, but I don't know. Maybe there's good accessibility options. I don't know. I wouldn't really say it was any harder. It never occurred to me at the time that it was any harder, for sure. I guess there's the music piece. There's Braille music. I don't read it very well because I just kind of figure if I'm playing, I have to memorize it either way. So I'll just memorize it by ear. So do you have perfect pitch? I do, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because I was like, if you're going straight from ear to the piano, I'm like, that that I yes. definitely can't do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I have perfect pitch, which is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> How is it a curse for you? Well, sometimes you'll hear like a car horn or something and it'll be, a, you know, a, a few cents flat or sharp or, you know, even just the the humming of like an electric light that's sharp and it's like it drives you insane you have to kind of almost learn to like turn it off or the world and its sounds will drive you insane and it's interesting that you you mention all of like those things like which are things that I would think of as just like oh sounds that I casually hear that I don't think about except for when my refrigerator is being really loud <laughs> um do you find that your other senses work harder and are more extreme because you don't have one of your major senses? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're better per se. We just really learn to use them more effectively. And how does one use other senses more effectively? Well, as you say, like you just pay attention to things more that maybe other people wouldn't pay attention to. So you can hear maybe when you're walking past a building because the echo changes or when you're walking past another person or you can kind of gauge their height and weight by listening to them walk or you can tell where the nearest Starbucks is because you can smell it from a block away, things like that, that maybe people aren't as attuned to, but that can be really helpful when you're missing one sense. Yeah, that's definitely 
not things that I think about, uh, <laughs> being, being able to see everything. So do you want to talk a little bit about what your mental health journey has been like? I know that that's a bit of a deep topic. Yeah. So probably when I was around seven, I started noticing that I was really struggling with anxiety. I started having panic attacks, which I didn't know what they were at the time, obviously. It was just this really scary thing of like, oh my God, I'm going to die because I have no idea what's happening to me because I'm a kid. And I started getting sent home from school sometimes because I would be sick a lot because of the anxiety. And as I got more into my teenage years, I think the anxiety kind of fueled the depression because, you know, who wants to live like that, right? Feeling anxious all the time. So you you don't want to live that way. So you get depressed because you're anxious. And so that has been a thing on and off over the years. I've had, you know, major depressive episodes that sometimes last for a few weeks, sometimes a few months. And in November of 2018, I entered into one major depressive episode that just kind of went on and on and on. And I, in June, I, by June, I had stopped eating, my hair was falling out, I wasn't sleeping. So we set up an emergency meeting with my doctor. And I was able to stay out of the hospital that time. And they just really increased my outpatient mental health supports. But unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, all of that kind of was put on hold and my therapists and doctors weren't seeing people in person and they were only doing phone appointments, not video. So they didn't really see, I guess, how I was declining and I wasn't far enough into recovery that I could really manage on my own. So that's kind of, you know, it was... Um, a spiral from there down until, of course, I was admitted to hospital in June of 2020. And I really appreciate your willingness to share that bit of a story of, of how it wasn't something that just sort of happened. It uh, was more of a, a journey. Yeah, yeah. So where are you now with things and outpatient therapy and, and stuff like that? I'm doing really well now. I suspect that I will probably need some sort of outpatient support for the rest of my life. I, you know, it's it's not, recovery is not linear. Sometimes it's two steps or one step ahead, two steps back. There are dark days, but overall, I'm, I think writing this book and now working on this music and things like that and being able to really sit down and talk to people and try to educate people and try to help other people through their own experiences has given me the purpose that I need to get better. Yeah. And that's good to hear that you're on, on that trajectory. Yeah. So what are your hopes for the future, whether that's with your music, maybe another book, what is, what are the goals for you? That's a hard one. I feel like I have so many things that it's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta pare it down. I think the first thing is gonna be 
getting some of this new music finished, written, and then recorded and releasing that. And I'd actually kind of like to, as things are opening up slowly after COVID, kind of do a tour, but different than any of the other kind of music tours that I've done in terms of incorporating you know, more telling more of my story, I guess. So incorporating the book and music together into sort of a presentation that hopefully can educate and help other people. Yeah. And I think that that's something that could very be very well received knowing that, you know, someone would be attending the event to hear a story, hear, you know, the process, and then also get to experience the music. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be kind of interesting to have those, I guess, modalities kind of of come together. And, you know, because usually you go to a concert, you don't really get a whole lot of the backstory behind these things. But I think, you know, presenting it like that maybe could be helpful to people. Yeah, Yeah, I think it could. Now, is your music something that you do full time? No, not anymore. I I wish, but I think, you know, with Spotify and streaming services and everything, you know, recorded music took a huge hit. And then with the pandemic, live music took a huge hit. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen. So at this point, I've kind of just accepted that it is a little bit of a labor of love for now. And, and I think accepting that has really helped me because before the pandemic, I... I found that I was getting really bitter, I guess, about the music situation. And I remember sitting on stage at one of my last shows and just thinking about whatever, just kind of going through the the motions on autopilot. And I kind of realized, like, I don't have to do this. This isn't fair to the people who are here to listen. And this isn't fair to me. So, you know, I need to readjust my priorities with music to because obviously what I'm doing isn't isn't aligning and then I guess in a way COVID was well timed for me in that respect because it actually gave me the time to take time off of music and and think about what I really want in terms of music. And what is it that you really want in terms of music? I just I want to as I always have, I guess, connect with people, which I think has changed over the years, the ways in which we do that. So yeah, like doing something like that tour, releasing music that that means a lot to me instead of, you know, just playing shows that I'm not super into just to pay the bills. So, you know, just really, I guess, making music about music and not thinking about it in terms of, you know, using it as something to pay the bills anymore. That makes sense. Now, are you sharing your music online? Yeah, I have. My albums are all out on Spotify and Apple Music and all of those places where people listen to music. And I have covers up on YouTube and that sort of thing. The new music isn't up yet, but I hope it will be soon. (laughs) And what other social medias are you on? I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. (laughs) 
everywhere except for TikTok, actually. I, I really shouldn't make a TikTok account, but I haven't yet. Yeah, I, it's a it's a it's a world on there. Uh, that's that's I think the best way to say it. You can find the right places to be and stay away from the places you don't want to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I here you can get lost for hours in in the TikTok abyss. Yeah, yeah, you can just a little bit. <laughs> So what else would you like to share about your story, about anything in your life so far? Hmm. That's a good question. I guess just that, you know, I I just want to live life. I want to educate people. I want, I don't want people's pity I want their acceptance and I think that's what most people with disabilities want and if you are struggling then you know just to know that somebody else has been there before you and I won't tell you that tomorrow is a better day and cheer up and all those empty platitudes but I can promise you that there will come a day when you will feel so much joy in a moment and you'll stop in that moment and you'll you'll think to yourself, I would have missed this and you'll be so glad that you hung on for that moment. And that's really great and, and I think can resonate with a lot of people. Now you mentioned the the wanting to be accepted and and you talked a little bit earlier about kind of the the different responses that you might get. So what is it that you think people can do to, to show their acceptance and, and be a better person to people with disabilities? I think just, and it, it sounds so simplified, but just treat people like people, you know, the more people you meet from the more walks of life, you just really realize that we are all very much the same. We all want the same things. We all want love and acceptance. And we're all just striving for that. And I think just to remember people as people and not, you know, people with this crazy divide between them is going to help people be a lot more accepting of people, you know, no matter their background or their disability or their race or their gender people are just people yes I like that people are just people now is it I don't don't know the best way to ask this question but if someone were to meet you for the first time like is it best to like acknowledge the fact that you're blind or like just kind of move on past it because like treating people as people why why would something need to be said but also if it's somebody who's like oh I want to help if you need help like do you do you get what I'm asking without asking a question (laughs) I think so so I will try to answer it tell me if I'm like way off base with what you actually meant but yeah I think I think that we maybe almost put too much thought into being politically correct and like 
I get people who I meet them and they're like, oh, have you have you seen this show on TV? And then they get so horrified with themselves and they're like, I mean, listened. And it's like, no, like we don't say listened or yeah, we don't say listened either. It's seen like that's just how you talk. You don't have to be afraid to use certain words or not use certain words or, you know, things like that. And if you want to help somebody, you can literally just ask like, hey, do you need help? Do you need anything? And the person will say yes or no. And as you get to know them better, you kind of intuit more, I guess, what they will or won't need. And what was it like with your partner to like, does he have experience with other blind people or were you a whole new world? I guess I was a whole new world. We met actually in the recording studio. I hired him to play on one of my albums. But I think in that world, I've just always been treated so much as an equal. So as soon as he saw that, he saw how other people who already knew me treated and I was just, you know, another one of the musicians. So in that world, I've always kind of just been accepted as how I am. So I think for him, he never really even had to pause to consider it too much I just was me and that's really great now this is gonna seem like a really weird question but it's part of the reason I just asked you about him um, because there was one time when my family turned a tv on and we had I don't know what it's called but an assistive technology on the tv that for blind people who cannot see what is happening, that additional like, oh, this person just walked into the room. Descriptive video service, DVS. Yeah. There you go. Do you, <laughs> is that something that you use? And like, how? and assuming that you do, how does he feel about it? Yeah, I do use it. I don't need it. It really depends, like in an action movie or something, it might be more beneficial than, you know, a rom-com where you can kind of pick up more from the dialogue. I think he's just so used to it now that he doesn't really, like, I've been out of the room and come in because most of pretty much anything Netflix put, puts out is in DVS. So I've come into the room and he'll be like watching a show on Netflix and the DVS will be on <laughs> still, even though he doesn't need it and I'm not there. Like, it's just... I don't know, I guess he learns to tune it out. And some sighted people are even like, oh, it's actually kind of helpful because it helps them to pick up on things that they might not have noticed otherwise visually. Yeah. As someone who didn't know that that existed, it was very shocking. <laughs> I can imagine. To turn on the TV and because it was just talking and then all of a sudden we got this descriptive audio and it was like what and then we had to try to figure out how to turn it off <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that happens with like a lot of the apple products because there is a built-in screen reader that comes with all of them so i can't tell you how many phone calls i've gotten with from friends that are like i turn on the screen reader and i don't know how to get it off <laughs> oh gosh and to your point about um people appreciating those things and talking about TikTok, um, I have the automated captions on all the time. And I find that when there aren't captions, I tend not to watch the videos because I'm just like, if I don't know what's going on and like, don't have that additional help, I'm just going to scroll past it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So that's another example of how, you know, they were probably implemented for people who are deaf or people who just have their phones on silent for whatever reason. But I've heard that from a lot of people that they actually find it super useful and they miss it when it's not there. Yeah. Now, is there any other technology that people might not know about that really helps you? I think now a big thing is just apps. It used to be that there was a lot of this specialized technology that was big and didn't work that well and was expensive and was very hard to get support for. Now, because of well, like on the iPhone, on Mac computers, even on on Windows, now they were a little slower to catch up. And uh, Android, there's pretty much accessibility features for any of the products that that most people use. And then within those products, there are specialized apps. So for example, there are specialized GPS apps that are made specifically for blind people that give them information that a sighted person might not need, but that is very helpful for them for travel. For example, it might describe an intersection or there's, you know, um, artificial intelligence apps that will describe pictures or there's services. There's an app that will connect you with volunteers called Be My Eyes, which basically so these people sign up and they will help blind people with whatever they need, whether it's, you know, I don't know, matching an outfit or figuring out what makeup goes well together, just any any sort of thing where you might benefit from having a sighted person. You have, you know, volunteers 24-7 to help you out with that. So yeah, just a lot of specialized apps on on technology that pretty much everyone uses now, which is really great. Yeah, that that is really great. And as things continue to expand and grow, I'm I would hope that things will just continue to get even more accessible. Yeah, I think so. And with AI, it's it's pretty exciting some of the things that they're able to do now with image recognition and things like that. Like a couple of years ago, memes on Facebook, people would always be posting these memes and it just would not come up with any image description. Now on the vast majority of memes, it will actually describe them to the best of its ability and read the text within the image because normally that's not able to be read by a screen reader. And that's not with like the person who's posting the meme doing anything different. No, they can. You can add alternative text to posts on Facebook and Instagram, which is really great. And we really appreciate when people take the time to do that. But the AI will do its best to fill in the gaps when people don't do that. Oh, that's that is definitely impressive. I could never begin to understand how AI works. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, I think I'm going to start to wrap things up. So with all of my guests at the end, before I do the closing out, I ask a random question. So I'm not sure how applicable this question is going to be. Um, But as I'm staring across my room and we did talk about the fact that you do have a cat. Yes. (laughs) So my question for you is what is your favorite kind of animal? Definitely cats. 
I think they're the best. I like dogs too. Dogs, horses. I like all animals, but there's just, you know, cats have such attitude and they, they make you earn it, right? Like they just don't, they don't give their love away. You got to prove yourself. I like that. <laughs> All right, that brings this episode to a close. I will be leaving some links in the description, of course. So Heather's website, a link for Spotify to all of her music and a link on Amazon so you can get her book. So feel free to go and check those resources out. And of course, if you'd like to connect with the podcast here on social media, the website is in the description, which will bring you to Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, it'll also give you all of the past episodes and all of the text to every episode. So feel free to go and check that out. And if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. I'm always looking for more people, so feel free to send me an email. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, that information is in the description as well. So thank you, Heather, so much for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time, bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.